Well, good morning. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited today. Uh, Easter Sunday was a little bit of a blur for me. Meeting you all for the first time, going from person to person, first Sunday, and it's Easter Sunday, so, you know, extra pressure. But today, I kind of feel like this is my first Sunday. You know, Easter Sunday, I wanted it to be about the resurrection. And uh, this Sunday, I wanted to kind of take a little bit of time to kind of acknowledge our, our start here together. And I wanted to start by thanking some people. Um, I wanted to, to thank the Pastoral Search Committee, if you don't know who that is, uh, Morris, Janet, Yuman, who's uh, back there as well. Uh, I want to thank them because throughout the whole process, uh, they really helped, not only represented you all very well, but um, they helped me feel comfortable about proceeding forward in the process. And along the way, also, I want to thank the church council and Pastor Andy. Uh, during that process, they were very accommodating for me as well. And uh, just thank you for not uh, putting in too tight of a ringer during the process. It didn't intimidate me too much. Um, I, I'm here, even, you know, just uh, it's made me feel excited about being here. So I want to thank them. And I do want to give a, a special thank you to, um, to Henry and Alice because uh, they... They extended their generosity to us uh, long before I even accepted the position, uh, long before it was even offered to me. Um, they, they extended it in a, in a time when our family was really kind of in a, in a bind, in a desperate need. And they really offered the generosity, and it was not even related to whether or not um, we came here or not. And so uh, I, I want to thank them tremendously for the blessing that they've been. And I think we've told them many times. and. Uh, you, it, it wouldn't, words can't say how much of a blessing it was to us. Um, but I also want to finally thank all of you. Uh, for those of you who um, voted to accept me as your, your firstly pastor, uh, I don't take that honor and blessing lightly. Uh, that's, a big, that's a big deal. And um, I'm, I'm truly humbled and honored and blessed and excited to see what God has in store. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being able to get to know you all. I want you to know I'm accessible. You can contact me. Um, I'd love to meet up with you as safely as is comfortable for you. Um, and to, I look forward to getting to know you all. Uh, personally, to hear your story and just to, to learn from you and as you learn from me. And I think that's gonna be the exciting part of all this is we're gonna journey through this together. And so I'm excited for it. Hopefully you're excited for it. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, a big blessing. Um, I wanted to start the sermons. I'm starting with a sermon series called Foundations for Generations. Foundations for Generations. And there's a double meaning with that. Uh, one, of course, will lay down a founda the foundational principles of who we are as a church. Who we want to be as a church. But the second thing also, too, is that we want to lay down foundational principles for our own lives, for our own generations that are going to follow us. So not only for our own lives, but our generations that's going to follow, our kids, perhaps our grandkids going forward. So we're going to look at who are we going to be? What is Generations Church all about? Everyone who walks through our ways has got to come across, whether we're outdoors or indoors, whether we have any kind of church gathering, 
Whoever crosses our way are going to ask those questions. Maybe they're not not intentionally asking it, but they're going to want to know, what is Generations Church all about? Right? But also, anyone that we encounter in our lives for any significant amount of time, they're going to want to know also, what are we about? What's Mike about? Who are they as a person? In the weeks to follow... We're going to lay down that simple foundation for what we're going to strive to be as a church community each and every time we meet. We're going to go over the, the Romans chapter 12. So we're going to be on it for, in it for a few months. And as I was looking at it, I was separate from preparing for a message. I was reading that chapter and it hit me like, wow, this is describing the church community. Exactly what we ought to strive for, not only individually, but as a body. So we're going to go through that in the next few months. And we're focused. The foundational principles we're going to look at is one, we're going to worship God. Two, we're going to be rooted in the word. Three, we're going to have edifying fellowship when we come together. Four, we're going to have faithful service. I cannot drop the hand that Michaela made for me. Long time ago. <laughs> And five, we're going to be a shining witness. Those are going to be the foundational principles we're going to look at in the next few months. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you that we can finally come together as a church in person and worship you, see each other face to face. We thank you, Lord God. And we pray you continue to hold down and even eradicate this virus, Lord, so that nothing would hinder us from coming together to worship you. And so, Lord, as we come together, as we hear your word, we sit at your feet, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. Stir on us, Lord, we pray. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles, or if you have your Bibles, you're looking at your phone. If you scroll down the page, you'll see the slides for the, the message. You can follow along. So the verses are there as well. But if you do have your Bibles, please bring your Bibles. Okay. So as you're turning to Romans 12, let me ask you, what has been, if you can think of this, the most life-changing purchase you ever made? What has been the most life-changing purchase, what did you buy, that changed your life? Can you think of something? What comes to mind? Maybe it's your computer. Maybe it's, I don't know, your smartphone. you remember when you first got a smartphone? I remember my first smartphone. I resisted and resisted, but I said, fine. And it kind of changed a lot of things, didn't it? Maybe it was your first car. How many of you remember your first car? Maybe that radically changed the way you lived your life. Like, Mom, Dad, when am I going to come home? I don't know. I'll see you later. <laughs> What about 
What is the most life-changing decision you ever made? Do you think about that? Most life-changing decision. Maybe it's marriage. You think, when I got married, man, that changed the course of my life. Or you can go back to when you first met that person. Maybe it was when you moved somewhere. You moved across the country or, or maybe some of you, you were born in another country and you moved here and that changed the course of your life. Maybe it was a career choice. Whenever I think about this question, not that I think of it often, but when I think of this question, I, I kind of uh, lightly think of a time when I was a kid when my, my father took me to a bicycle shop for me to, to get me a bicycle. And I must have been about maybe four years old or something like that, very young. And I remember I was scared. I was so scared to get a bicycle because I thought, what if I fall? What if something happens? And I remember my older brother was there and I was there. We were in the bicycle shop. We're looking at bikes and my brothers all encouraged me to pick a bike. And I was so scared. I said, I don't want one. Can you think of, can you imagine that as a kid saying, you know, you're being offered a bike and you say, no, I don't want one. Well, why do I bring that up? That might have changed the course of my life because I didn't learn to ride a bike until I was about 15, 14 or 15. And by that point, I was making sure no one in the neighborhood could see me as I'm trying to learn to ride the bike down my driveway. And to this very day, Ken has been trying to get me to ride with them for 50 something miles. So I'm holding on to this excuse. But if you think about the course of your life, what drastically changed the course of your life? What decisions have changed the course of your life? Where does your relationship with Jesus fall in that list? On Easter, we look at the newness we receive through the resurrection of Jesus, right? For those who believe and confess Jesus as Lord, we are made alive and given new life. We've been reconciled to the Father, right? Where sin broke relationship with God. We could not be holy in and of ourselves. We could not be good enough in of ourselves. Jesus paid that price. Sin was forgiven and we were saved from judgment, eternal separation from God. So we saw that on Easter Sunday. But does it stop there? Is that all there is to know about what it means to be a Christian? What it means to believe in Christ? How should we respond? How should our lives be affected by our faith in Christ? So we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, and we're only going to look at verse 1 today. If you follow along, it says this, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In response to Jesus' sacrifice, thank you. In response to his sacrifice on the cross, and the resurrection, we are to present to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. He gave his life for us in exchange what we give our lives for him. Right? He died for us. We live for him. 
But let me paint the imagery of this verse and give you some background so we can better appreciate what Paul's saying here in verse 1. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that God established the law for his people, right? The Israelites. And that law was very much like a fence, if you will. This is what, this is what separates you from the other pagan nations. He set them apart as a people unto himself so that you could be the, they could be the contrast to the other nations, the evil, wicked, ungodly nations. And part of the law was a sacrificial offering system. The sacrificial system was both an expression of worship to God, but it was also a means of communication, keeping connection, right relationship with God. To be in good standing with the Lord. Now the people couldn't just approach God. They couldn't just go to the tabernacle. There was a priest, right? The priest would be that intercessor between the people and God. So the people would bring their sacrifice before the priest. And the priest would offer it up before the Lord. Now particular, now two particular sacrifices or offerings again. One was a sin offering and the other was a peace offering among others. For the sin offering, the animal would be presented by the family or the person, would be presented before the priest on behalf of them. And the priest would sacrifice it as an offering before the Lord. And that animal was like that atonement sacrifice, right? The animal's death would symbolize the atonement for the sin of the people or the person. The peace offering was another animal sacrifice, and it was offered up. But this one was more of an expression of thanksgiving unto God, right? A fulfillment of a vow or a free will offering. You've heard that term, a peace offering. When you give a peace offering to somebody, right? It's a gesture saying that we are in good relationship. Maybe it'd be one of thanksgiving. You're thankful, but you're offering it as a means of symbolizing the peace between you two, that you're in good standing with the other person, right? So with this in mind, this kind of sacrificial system, what would happen? The people would bring this offering before the priest, and the priest would bring an offering before the Lord. That, that background, it puts into perspective what Jesus did on the cross for us that we saw a few weeks ago. Jesus was the ultimate atonement sacrifice for us. He atoned for our sin. He, he was the peace offering for us. So that we can be in good standing with God. We don't have to every week bring an animal, bring it to me, and I have to kill it and sacrifice it to God on your behalf. We don't need a priest to do that anymore. We don't need a priest to be that, that mediator between us and God. Jesus was our high priest. He's the one that fulfilled that role. Can you imagine? Aren't we thankful for that? That we don't have to, along with our cars, bring our animal before God. I don't think Michaela would let me be a pastor. And she knew I'd have to come and sacrifice an animal every week. She's like, Daddy, I think you need to find another job. <laughs> but with this in mind, this perspective in mind, we read in verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. First, this verse reminds us that it's only God's mercy that we can present ourselves before him. 
And he says, by the mercies of God, present yourselves before him. God's mercy allows us to be reconciled to God. We should never have the mentality that God owes us anything. I thought it was amazing that the, the song that the worship team chose this morning about that line that we stand in awe of God. I was like, when I heard them sing, I was like, wow, you know what? I didn't even tell them. It's like as if they read the message already. We should never lose the sense of awe of God. It is by his mercy we can go before him. One of the things I enjoy about being in nature, how many of you like to enjoy being outside, being in nature? When I say being in nature, I'm not just talking about this kind of nature. I'm talking about maybe when you're at the beach and you're seeing the, the roaring waves or you're up in the mountains and you can look out, you see the majesty of all the mountains and the forests and the trees. Or maybe you're flying and you look out. I love being in nature that way because I just get overwhelmed with the sense of awe of God. I look at all that he created, the vastness of, of everything from the, the mountains to the oceans to the, 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 the deserts. And to think that God that created all this is mindful of me, cares enough about me. I don't know if you've ever been in the Grand Canyon a couple of summers ago. Was it last summer? I forget. <coughs> that wasn't a, a bad cough, okay? <laughs> I get caught swallowed sometimes, so don't worry. Um, went to the Grand Canyon for the first time that I can remember. And seeing the vastness if you look down. And think, if you ever got lost down there, who would know you? Who could find you? But yet God would know you. Know exactly where you are. <clears throat> Don't ever lose a sense of awe of God. Don't ever take lightly that out of his mercy we can go before God. But don't neglect the privilege it is to be able to go before God. He's the Almighty. He says we can call him Abba Father. The Almighty Creator says you can call me Father. You can call me Daddy. I don't know what that means to you all. I had a dad that was, I think, pretty approachable. He was a very peaceful dad. He wasn't really a scary dad. I always wanted my kids to, to see me as approachable. Hopefully they thought I was approachable. Unless I did something wrong, then I want the fear of God in them, right? <laughs> but God says, by my mercy, you can go before me. We can now go before the Lord. But how do we go before the Lord? We can present ourselves before the Lord, but how should we present ourselves before God? He says to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. I thought about this. And I thought, you know, many people have a fear of going before God, don't they? I think a lot of people avoid going to church because they have the fear of going before God. People sometimes are confronted with how they live their life. Maybe they, they, they're confronted with their sin. Guilt and shame go hand in hand. 
Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, sometimes that can kind of hinder you. They're afraid to go before God. May they reflect on the choices they made, the life they lived. Some people feel shackled with the choices they made, even though they're a believer. Even though they confess the sin before God, they're reminded of the things they did and they struggle to go before God because they fear God. But Paul's saying reminds us, present yourselves as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. It does not have to be that way for us. We don't have to fear going before God. We don't have to feel shame going before God. We don't have to bear the weight of guilt for the decisions we made before God. It says we need to present ourselves before God as a holy and pleasing sacrifice or be pleasing to God. But I want to let us know that we're not holy because of anything we've done. We're not holy because we're good people or because we've, we've done our best to be good moral people. We, we do our best to live a good life. That's not what makes us holy. That's not what makes us pleasing to God. All your achievements, accomplishments, goals, dreams, all those things, they don't make us pleasing to God. You know what made us pleasing to God? What Jesus did for us. Only what Jesus did for us allows us to be holy and acceptable and pleasing before God. So what he did on the cross allows us that we can go before God holy and pleasing to him. That's an amazing thing. Praise God. That our merits isn't what dictates whether we're holy or not. But as believers in Christ, we are living sacrifices. We're not dead in our sins. We're not doomed to condemnation. We're new creations. And we can stand before God holy and pleasing. So when we present ourselves before God, do we present ourselves as holy and acceptable to God? I want to read a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God telling the Israelites before they go into the promised land, he reminds them of this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. God reminds the people, look, I'm going to bring you to the promise that I need you to remind you. This is the standard. This is what I want from you. I want you to love me with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. Everything about you. That's what I want. <coughs> Jesus affirms this as the greatest commandment. Sorry. I knew I shouldn't have sang too much. I couldn't help hearing you all sing. It's like, I gotta sing too. But I know better than that. The more I sing, it strains my voice. <clears throat> Jesus said, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Mark 12, 30. He affirmed, this is the greatest commandment. See, God wants all of us 
He couldn't, he could have just said, I want you to obey me. But he didn't just say, I want you to obey me. He says, I want you to love me with all of you, your heart, your mind, and your body. I want all of it. I want all of it. See, when we think of worship, sometimes we think of worship as music, right? We had worship time. That was our time of worshiping God. But see, worship is so much more than just the music we play or what we sing. We have to expand our idea of worship. What does it mean to worship God? To worship God is how we live every single day. Our lifestyle is an act of worship. See, God doesn't just want some of us. He doesn't just want some part of our life. God doesn't just want our Sundays. He doesn't want just the five or ten seconds before we eat. We rush a quick prayer. He doesn't just want the 15 minutes we could cram a devotional or read our little you know, one-page devotional. He doesn't just want the one chapter of, of Bible that we get through. He wants more than that. He wants all of us. And if you think for a second, well, isn't that a little too much, God? Aren't you asking a little too much of me? Think to yourself, you meet somebody, a loved one, what do you ask of them? Can you imagine if they gave you that response? <coughs> you, want, you want how much of me? No, 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 no. I can see you on a one day a week. We could talk for one minute before you go to bed. None of us would agree to that. God says, I want all of you. We show our thanksgiving to the Lord as we present ourselves to God. Let me ask you, do how we live our life show how thankful we are to the Lord? Or does how we live our life show how resentful we are? That spoke to me, so I'm going to repeat that one. I put it in bold because I need to be reminded of that. Does how we live our life show how thankful we are to the Lord? Or does it show how resentful we are to the Lord? Because when we make decisions in our life that we know are contrary to God, whether we're thinking about it or not, oftentimes it's out of resentment to God. God, you want me to do what? Nah. I mean, I'm going to do this. You gave me this? Nah. I don't want that. I want this over there. <coughs> How do we live our, live our life? How do we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God? It's not about perfect dress. It's not about perfect outerwear. I'm so thankful. You know, I, I keep caring from different people. I don't have to be wearing, you know, uh, ties and button-up shirts. I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Next week I might be in a polo. I don't know. <laughs> I have to work my way. I have to earn my way down to shorts. I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> but it's not about the outer appearance, right? We live in a culture where outer appearance is almost everything. 
Some people use their outer appearance as a disguise. You look great on the outside, but it hides and masks a lot of things inside. How do we present ourselves before God? It's about honor and giving the Lord our heart, mind, and body. How do we present ourselves as living sacrifices to God? Honor and give the Lord our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. What does that look like as a church? When we come to church, we're entering a time, a specific time set out to worshiping God, right? Our primary purpose when we come, when we gather at any time as a church, is to bring glory to God. And we do this in celebrating as a community, right? When we come to church, when we come, are we mindful of our hearts, our minds, and our bodies? When you came to church today, did you prepare yourself, prepare your mind, prepare your heart, and prepare your body for coming to the Lord? Right? I have to do some things. I have to right, prepare my mind, heart, and body. And one of the things I have to do, I have to have my coffee. You're like, well, that doesn't sound real spiritual, Mike. That's true. But coffee, this is not coffee, by the way. It's just water. But coffee is my mood drink. If I don't have my coffee, it dictates how my mood will be. My kids know that. My family knows that. Jamie may sometimes ask me, did you have your coffee today, Mike? <laughs> You see, whatever you need to do to prepare your body for coming to church. Now, I got, all right, not, let me say, not whatever you need to do, but what you do to get yourself in a frame of mind to worshiping God. Can you do it? In your dress, I'm so glad that, you know what, you can be as comfortable as you want, so long as whatever you're wearing gets you in the mindset to worshiping God. It's not about you. It's not how you may come across. Right? So that's why I'm working my way down to more casual wear. <laughs> is your heart ready to worship God? Is your desire to God, today I want to worship you at church. When we come together, our desire coming together is to worship God. To celebrate Him. Is your mind focused? Is your thoughts focused? Some of you, maybe I lost your minds a long time ago. Your body is here. Your desire really wants to be here, but your mind is elsewhere. I lost you at let's pray, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> right? Is your heart, mind, and body ready to God? I'm offering you myself as worship to God as we come together in church. Because worship is more than just when the worship team plays. It's on the way. We've started on the way to work. So how many of you Sunday mornings are the most stressful time of the week? Or right, maybe your kids are, are old enough or you have great kids or I don't know, whatever. Sometimes Sunday mornings can be so hectic. Come on, hurry, get ready for church. You gotta wake up. You gotta, where, where's my church? Where, did I iron? Did I, all that stuff. It's so hectic. And we've lost it before we've got into the car. And then we get out of the car. We're like, oh, hey, you know, everything's great. And then we sit down to worship and we're like, oh, what am I going to eat for lunch? <laughs> Work was such a, a burden. See, when we come to church, when we worship God, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. But we can't, we can't, we can't do this consistently with sincerity 
if we don't do this the other days of the week? If we, do it, if we don't do this once church is over? Because we can try to do it as a church, but if we're not doing it personally in our lives, then we're not going to be able to do it. We can't fake it. Right? God knows the sincerity of our hearts. He knows our minds. We have to be able to do it personally in our own lives. In our own lives. Does God own our hearts? Your desires. Does God have the prominent seat in your heart? In your desires? Right? We talked about the newness that we've accepted that God has for us. That new life. Have we given God, said, God, I give you my desires to shape as you will. All that is important to me, whether it's family, career, what your ambitions, all those things, God, I'm going to give it to you. May you be honored with my desires. Your mind, your thoughts, your thought life, what you think about throughout the day, what you dwell upon. Does God own that part? We're not going to be perfect. God knows that. But you say, God, my thoughts, I want to give to you. How I think, how I see the world, what I believe. I want you to shape that. And then our bodies. Have we offered our bodies as our sacrifice to God? Because we can say, God, I believe you. God, I love you with my heart. But I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to act whichever way I want. See, it doesn't work that way. See, when we worship God, he says, when you come to worship me, I want all of you. I want your heart, mind, and body. So when I say we want to worship God as a church, we want to worship God individually, I'm not just saying we're going to sing cool songs. We're going to have a good worship team. We're going to sound great. We're going to be like this band or this band or have this sound or sing these songs. No. We're going to be a church that when we come together, we're saying, God, it's about all of us. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies. Will we be perfect? Certainly not. But we can be intentional, right? And as we go about our days, go about our weeks, can we say each and every day, even when we get out of that car, trust me, I know what it's like. When, you, when church is over, you go into the family car, it's like all, all holds bar is over. It's like, all right, back to the real. Like, hey, kids, you know what, this and that. I understand how hectic it can be. But can we say, God, you still own my heart, my mind, my body. Because I am a living sacrifice for you. Next, we're going to take a look at what challenges us. What is the biggest obstacle for us when it comes to being able to be a living sacrifice before God? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, we, again, we just glorify your name. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that you did for us what we could not do on our own. 
And we thank you for the privilege and honor. And by your mercy, can we go before you. And Lord, I pray for the hearts here today. Lord, may we recognize our need for you. I pray for those who've been trying to live their life on their own. May they recognize their need for you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord of their life. And I pray for this church, Lord God. I pray that we be a church body that is set on worshiping you with our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. That we may glorify you and give you praise. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.